Greetings, everyone. This is Joyce Davis, Pen Lives Outreach and Opinion Editor, and this is Battleground PA. Stay tuned. We have our trusted analyst, Jeffrey Lord and Rajette Harris, but we have another friendly face with us today, John Cole with Politics PA. So just give me a second. I will be right back for some scintillating conversation. This is Battleground PA, a PenLive podcast discussing the issues that matter to Pennsylvanians and documenting the events in our state that will shape the battle for your vote in the 2020 presidential elections. Okay, I am back. Yes, we are. And if you want to join this conversation uh, as a podcast, you can send us an email to topics at battlegroundpa.org. Or you can check us out and send messages right here on Facebook or on Twitter at Battleground PA. So, guys, you know, it's just so boring. Just this election, it's just like, we don't know. I mean, like, why is anybody even paying attention to it, right? I see all those smiles. So why don't we get started? Welcome, John. It's nice to have you here again. Thanks for having me back. And Rajette and Jeffrey, always great to talk to you. We're, we're a team now, right? Yes, yes. Absolutely. I can't wait till next year's elections. <laughs> right, or the next four years. But John, why don't we get started? Um, I want you to give us a kind of overview. You're the honest broker here. Jeffrey doesn't trust me either. So why don't you give us an overview of where things stand? So again, so as of Wednesday morning here, uh, you know, in the state of Pennsylvania, uh, all the statewide races have been called in Pennsylvania, as, is the, as has the presidential election. Um, former Vice President Joe Biden, uh, the AP called the race for him over President Donald Trump on Saturday morning, and that essentially put uh, Biden over the top uh, for the needed 270 electoral votes uh, to put him in the White House. Uh, and then beyond that, of course, we will dive into that a lot, uh, I imagine, during this podcast. But the interesting thing is, even though uh, former Vice President Joe Biden, a Democrat, secured uh, Pennsylvania and flipped it back in the blue column after Trump won it in 16. For the three statewide row offices, Republicans flipped two of those, which is really significant. The one Democrat who held on was Attorney General Josh Shapiro. He beat Republican challenger Heather Heidelball. As of Wednesday morning, results are still coming in. But last I checked, he had about a four-point lead, a pretty sizable margin. That race was called for him on Friday afternoon. Um, history was made in the Auditor General's race. Uh, Republican Tim DeFore defeated Democrat Nina Ahmad for that open seat. It was previously held by Eugene D. Pasquale, a Democrat. So for the first time since the 90s, the last time a Republican uh, won an election for Auditor General was 1992. And also mm. becomes the first person of color also to hold a statewide row office in Pennsylvania. So a historic election there for Tim DeFore. And then as well, the race that was just called yesterday. So this is the most breaking news one, uh, the treasurer's race that pro- uh, possibly the biggest upset of them all. Uh, Republican Stacey Garrity defeated incumbent treasurer Joe Torcella, which is the one I think less uh, the least on people's radars. And that was another upset. So Republicans, although I'm sure uh, we'll talk again more about the presidential election, they're not happy that Trump was unable to carry Pennsylvania. But flipping two row offices is a very big deal. And much different from 2016, when although Trump carried the state in 16, all three Democrats won the row offices. So a totally different story in 2020. 
Wow. Wow. That's a very good overview. Thank you for that. Because as Regette has always reminded us, it's really not just about the presence. <laughs> it's about all these other, and especially those closer to home that really directly affect your life. But let's step into this. Jeffrey, I, the, the president is not satisfied. And I'm assuming you're right there with him, not satisfied with what you're seeing. So lay out for us as nicely as you can <laughs> where things stand. Well, let me just uh, read to you this uh, line, a couple lines here from the lawsuit that is currently filed. All right. Quote, Allegheny and Philadelphia counties alone received and processed 682,479 mail-in and absentee ballots without review by the political parties and candidates. These are unprecedented numbers in Pennsylvania's elections history. Rather than engaging in an open and transparent process to give credibility to Pennsylvania's brand new voting system, the processes were hidden during the receipt, review, opening, and tabulation of those 682,479 votes in direct contravention of the election code. That's only one thing. This is, well, I'll hold this up for the cameras. This is 86 pages long. And uh, I'm on page four, to be exact. So, Jeffrey, you have found the missing proof that everybody's been asking for. We like we hear all these allegations, but a lot of uh, very uh, uh, trusted people have been saying, but where's the beef? Where's the beef? Right. So, that, are you still saying where's the beef, or does that resolve it for you? You know, there's something about the number 20. Um, you know, exactly 20 years ago, we had the 2000 uh, elections with Al Gore and, uh, you know, Joe Lieberman and then uh, President Bush. Uh, karma is interesting, isn't it? Because the roles have uh, definitely re reversed here. Um, with that said, I do. the president has a right. A lot of these states are very close. He has the right to challenge those votes and ask for a recount or do whatever he wants to do. With that said, I don't expect any type of change. I actually think uh, this will help unify the country. Because despite what a lot of people thought, we know the polls were completely wrong, there was no blue wave. Um, as John mentioned about the statewide elections, we saw this across the country, um, especially with some of the, the high profile uh, U.S. Senate seats that weren't even close when their final uh, votes were counted. So I think this will help with the healing process. With that said, um, I do think the president needs to prepare himself. Um, the voters have spoken. Uh, the popular vote is a lot higher. Uh, as far as Joe Biden's win than even it was four years ago. Turnout was high on both sides. Um, I think we all can acknowledge that. Um, but as I mentioned throughout the year, a lot of disinfected Republicans and independents voted for Joe Biden, even though they voted maybe Republican for the rest of the offices. That's what the numbers reflect to me. One, so one, I do think the president is going to have to do what he's been saying he does, which is put country first. And start in the, the healing process will start when he accepts that he lost and uh, tell his voters, you know, this is about the country. We need to come together and let's support Joe Biden as our next president. Right. Jeffrey, two, if, go if, ahead. Two, two quick things. Mm -hmm. One in terms of Florida, the difference between Florida and and now. Remember, uh, I'm sure you do the, the whole hanging Chad episode and the whole deal with the Florida ballots was that in Florida, they were punching, they had punch card ballots. And the issue was whether the the Chad had been fully punched next to a voter's name. Was it hanging? Was it empty? Was it still there? 
you know, in other words, they were trying to divine the voters' intent. Here, it's not a question of the voters' intent. It's a question of did they fill the ballot out properly? That's a different a different thing. But the second thing in terms of healing, I think it would be tremendous if uh, Joe Biden would join with President Trump in all of these lawsuits and demand recounts and vote audits and get to the bottom of it. What could possibly be wrong with that? Well, if the president can show proof, then I'm sure that uh, President-elect Biden and the rest of the Democrat Party would join in. The problem is the Trump campaign has been asked for proof for months now. I they just have yet. They have, <laughs> they have yet to really provide any real truth. That's the point. Just one more point, though, real quick. Even if you discounted, for instance, Republicans wouldn't discount, discount those votes from um, those three days, that's 72 hours. Even if you discount those votes, it still wouldn't take President Trump over the top to run Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. I do want to point that out. There's not enough votes, even if the court would decide to throw them out. He lost. And we still have other states that seem to be uh, that they are still undeclared that seem to be uh, having votes favoring uh, uh, the vice president. But and now the president elect, we have to uh, give it that. But, John, I want to bring you into this conversation because I'm sure you're getting it from both sides. Uh, And I just wonder how uh, people you feel people are looking at this. You've got millions who voted one way and you've got more millions who seem to vote another way. All of this haggling and stuff, is that, you think, impacting our trust in government or our trust in our system? I would say so. I mean, there's a significant portion of the population, those who, again, support President Trump, who take his word or that there was foul play. Uh, again, I think it should be reiterated that there, we've not had proof yet. We can say that there was, uh, you know, widespread fraud. And we're seeing Trump kind of take his anger out now on other Republicans. And by this is breaking news where President Trump just tweeted within the past couple minutes. So, of course, we know he made it a point to talk about Philadelphia quite, for, uh, quite often, um, putting the target on their back. Um, and as we know, in Philadelphia, there are three city commissioners. One of them is a Republican, Al Schmidt. Mm-hmm. 60 minutes this past week talking about how um, he said there was no uh, significant issues in Philadelphia. Donald Trump tweeted uh, at 9.03 a.m. today, a guy named, I'm quoting him. A guy named Al Schmidt, a Philadelphia commissioner and so-called Republican, I know, is being used big time by the fake news media to explain how honest things were with respect to the election in Philadelphia. He refuses to look at a mountain of corruption and dishonesty. Exclamation point. So he's seemingly letting his anger out now on fellow Republicans in the state of Pennsylvania who have, again, have said that there hasn't been thus far, has not been any uh, credible or substantial amount of widespread fraud. And I guess one last thing I want to mention, too, to Rajet's point earlier about the ballots that were uh, received. I believe it was after, was it after Tuesday and then before Friday? I think there was a three-day extension. Yes. That, um Rajet mentioned. Here's a tweet from Jonathan Tamari from the Philadelphia Inquirer, who, again, um, you know, one of the uh, political reporters there. So of those that were received between 8 p.m. Election Day and the Friday deadline, it was about, uh, that's currently being contested uh, by the Republican Party and it, by the state Supreme Court. We'll see how that goes. Um, there's about 10,000 ballots. And right now, Biden's lead as of this morning is a little over 45,000. And there's still, again, this was as of last night, 94,000 provisional ballots issued. And again, he, Biden's lead right now is a little higher than what Trump's lead was in the state in 2016. Granted, we don't know exactly how all those results will come in yet. 
However, okay. as of late, they have been trending a little bit more towards uh, former Vice President Joe Biden. So I think it's well, worth noting. Well, you're, and you're so so you are the concerned at least that as Americans, as voters, I mean, I'm a voter, you're a voter. As we look at this, we thought we'd gone in. We trust that the votes were counted, especially we're getting this information and all of this haggling just makes your stomach churn, Jeffrey. Are you at all concerned about the state of American democracy because of this? Yeah, when you when you steal an election, yes, I am concerned about. This but that, note, that, it, well, Jeffrey, it's that kind of allegation that causes people's stomachs to churn. It's, well, well it's, Joyce, like a, Joyce, it's like a it's like a knife stab. What causes my stomach to churn is to see television cameras in the Philadelphia Convention Center showing quite plainly that there are no Republican or Democrats sitting at those tables with the vote counters, and everybody says there's nothing wrong. There's plenty wrong right there. You're looking at it in living color. That turns my stomach. To say that there's nothing wrong with that picture is wildly, wildly untrue. Well, let's bring Rajette into this. Rajette, I mean, the Secretary of State and other election officials, including Republicans, who I think there's a Republican who's in charge in many of these counties for the voting count. I mean, they don't have any reason to uh, be against the Republican Party or, or the sitting president, do they, Rajette? I mean, well, I let's, know, use, your let's use logic. So the Democrats in Pennsylvania is going to rig the presidential race, but they were going to not rig it for the two <laughs> statewide row office. <laughs> Uh, candidates that that lost. Really not counting true. legislative seats that the Democrats have lost as well in Pennsylvania. Uh, plus, you know, as a county chair, I can speak to this. Campaigns, no, were not allowed in when they count the votes, but each campaign was allowed to have a team of lawyers in while they scanned and counted the votes. So the lawyers were allowed to be in there on behalf of the party. So, and that was that was statewide. So I'm not sure, obviously, in Philadelphia, what attorneys that the uh, Trump campaign chose to, you know, watch that process. But each campaign was allowed to have a team of attorneys in there uh, yes. to watch. Yes. So I do want to point that out. But you have to admit, it doesn't make sense that you would rig the presidential race, but not the statewide and legislative seats. Rope. In fact, the ma- minority leader of the House Democratic Caucus might lose. Am I correct with that, John? Or was that called already? So, yeah, so let Germany. Uh, last night quickly, uh, House Minority Leader Frank Dermody in Allegheny County conceded. And okay. Wow. Republic against Republican Carrie Del Rosso. I don't know all the numbers. That numbers obviously haven't gone final there quite yet, but Dermody did concede. He represents a district in Allegheny County that narrowly supported President Donald Trump in 2016. I don't know exactly what the numbers are this year in comparison to how Biden and Trump are doing in that specific uh, district. However, it's worth noting that, again, not only for the statewide losses for Democrats, the House Minority Leader has also lost. And he, you know, of course, a powerful member. Right. And that's the point I was making. It doesn't make sense. Um, In the congressional race, uh, we all live in the same congressional race, at least, you know, Jeffrey, you're in the 10th. So we're going to not um, help Eugene DePasquale beat Scott Perry. I mean, the logic just isn't there. Um, I did see all the protests and the rallies on both sides at the Capitol on Saturday. And you know, it, it just doesn't make sense that you're going to rig one but not rig rig the rest. Well, me, the logic isn't there, especially since there's no proof. There's no physical proof to show that any wrongdoing was done. The American people, at least Pennsylvanians, we split, they split the vote. And I think getting rid of the straight party vote tab 
Um, I do think that hurt the Democrat Party. Hmm. Hmm. Jeffrey, go ahead. Well, let, let me let me just say that um, the Republican observer, <clears throat> the observers in Philadelphia, were told at first that they had to be what twenty feet from uh, from the counters, and then finally it was whittled down to six feet. I think well, it was ten, Jeffrey. I think you're exaggerating a bit. It was ten. Well, but, yeah, I, but think, my, I think you're doubling the numbers as you, you know. So, so just go, oh, well, like, but it ended up at. You don't want to misinform our readers. I don't want to misinform you know, other the places for misinformation, but here, let's be accurate. So we don't, we don't want to. Be, say, okay. It was whittled down to six. Yeah, feet. Six feet. That's true. Okay. All right. I am suggesting that no one, unless you're Superman with telescopic vision, can read a ballot from six feet. That is ridiculous. Patently I don't know ridiculous. what they had here, but in some places I thought I saw cameras. But go ahead, Rochette. There were the TVs as well. Ballot. They had TV screens. No, the you, results were, were showing up on as well for the observers. And I, I to show the ballots individually to each observer. Otherwise, all kinds of stuff goes on. And in fact, as I pointed out, and I think in my article, um, when uh, the Atlantic ran this piece on the election that could break America in the run-up to the election, they had a, a lengthy quote. The Republican Party in in the primaries sent out a team of people to observe the ballot counting, and they, in quite detail, wrote a report. They didn't do anything about it, but they just wrote it up that they were visibly, they were watching close up all of these ballots that were, uh, you know, in bad shape or that, you know, this was wrong, that was wrong. They didn't meet the legal definition. The judge of elections weren't handling it properly. Well, if that's true, then what happened now? And well, let, us not, let us not forget that in May of this year, the name Dominic DeMauro, Mr. DeMauro was um, indicted by the U.S. attorney in Philadelphia specifically for rigging uh, voting machines in Philadelphia in three different, I think it was three different elections in which he would just stand there and in essence go ka-ching, ka-ching, so ka-ching. He's been, he's been removed from the looking. scene, right? He's been removed from the scene, so he wasn't a problem. This well, time. no, no, but it, I mean... Let me get to some of the questions here. You're going on a little bit long. Holly is asking, my concern is the federal DOJ should not be getting involved in elections. They are not supposed to be partisan. Barr needs to know his role and step back. He's violating the Constitution. Let the states handle their recounts. John, do you want to weigh in on that comment? Is that a concern for Pennsylvanians that the attorney general is going to be involved in this? I think, well, I mean, certainly Democrats uh, seemingly think, I mean, again, I would let Rajat dive into that more. And of course, let Jeffrey. But I imagine that Democrats certainly don't want Barr to get involved, considering that they think that he is certainly partial to Trump. And I'm sure Republicans have, uh, you know, they certainly want Barr to get involved because they believe he, you know, uh, due to his role, they believe that he would accurately and fairly um, make sure that there was no foul play. But again, I would let them dive into that. Well, there's no there's no objective look at this, whether you, if you're an independent. Does it really matter? I mean, I know the partisans are going to want whatever works for them. Let's just face it. But... <laughs> What about just an average voter who is not really a Democrat or Republican? They're just going to vote for who they think is best. Is this a concern long term? I think moving forward, it's something that, yeah, they're going to mean they definitely want to make sure that there was no fraud. And like you said, depending if there's recounts and other things like that in various states, I'm sure that will take place. However, 
Um, we're looking at the margins right now. Again, Biden has a lead of oh, right now over 45,000. And I think in 2000, if I'm not mistaken, in Florida, wasn't that only that was less than a thousand? Wasn't that like 537 vote difference? Yes. Yeah. Most people are saying that when it gets into the thousands, the recount is not really going to change things. That, that's what the experts are saying. But uh, let's let's add that it's not just Pennsylvania that we're talking about. There's Georgia has a tighter margin, but Biden has a slight lead. You have Arizona. Uh, Biden has a lead, I think, right now around 13 or 14,000. I'll have to double check on those exact numbers. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you're talking Nevada, about- too. And Nevada. Thank you. So there's there's multiple states that we still technically don't know all the final results, but the AP is called at least, um, you know, those races there. Right. Which is why as a Democrat, I'm saying let's count the votes and let's get those final results. But the president's going to have to accept whatever those results let's are. Recount the vote and again. And again, that's his right to have every I mean, we're fighting for every vote to be counted. Let every vote count. But he is going to have to put country first if the results aren't, which my guess is things are going to continue where they are, if they aren't what to his liking. We are not fighting for every vote to be counted. We are fighting for every legal vote to be counted. Big difference. Are you fight, fighting for every Trump vote to be counted? Right. <laughs> every Let's legal be honest. The rest don't be left. I hear you. I hear. But let, let me let me let me ask you this too. Um, we have uh move on i guess to the issue of what's happening with the supreme court uh jeffrey i know the president really pushed hard to have this obamacare overturned what are your thoughts with that how is that impacting all of this stuff jeffrey the supreme court how's it well i mean obamacare you know uh, we just moved on (laughs) yeah i don't think obamacare i i mean I, I honestly don't know in that case okay. whether you know what they're going to do with it. Uh, you know, we have a new justice on there. Um, fr- frankly, I'm not all up to up to speed with all the ins and outs of Obamacare and where it stands in front of the Supreme well, Court. Well, it was looking it was looking like they were not going to strike it down. Rajette, you want to weigh in here? Yes, and even some of the more conservative justices, like Justice Roberts and Justice Kavanaugh, are sick of what you claim uh, the Democrats are trying to do, but in this case it was uh, uh, the Republican Party, of trying to have them overturn legislative legislation, which is something the uh, the legislative body uh, should be doing. So it's going to be, the way they were speaking yesterday, because I did catch some of the hearings and some of the comments, even if they strike down some of it, um, it doesn't seem like they're going to strike back the entire Affordable Care Act, that they're going to send it back to the legislature to do what they should do, which is fix it, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which I'm sure is going to be a disappointment uh, to the president, because that's why he and the Republicans pushed uh, to, to put uh, Justice Barrett on that um, court, was to overturn the Affordable Care Act and to essentially make him president again <clears throat> if the vote count didn't go his way, which it's not. No, they were. But again, our just the justices, our our judges should be independent, and it seems like uh, hopefully they will be and look at the merits and the facts. That's why she was put on there, not to overrule Obamacare. Well, not according to the president. Again, you know what's so interesting is if President Trump would have wore a mask and kept his mouth shut, he would have been elected president. Because, again, half the country, almost half the country did vote for him. This was not a blue wave. There is no mandate for the Democrat Party. And that was a surprise to many people. Honestly, if he would have put a mask on and kept you know, his mouth shut, we might be having a different you know, conversation you know, to, you right know, to, now. 
to use Roget's logic, don't you find it interesting that all these Republicans won these House races, but somehow the president wasn't reelected? I mean, no, that doesn't surprise me at all. When you have former <laughs> governors like Governor Tom Ridge openly supporting Joe Biden. Again, you had a lot of independents and disinfected Republicans vote for Joe Biden because they did not want Donald Trump as president anymore, but they voted Republican the rest of the office. And it does, find, it does make me curious to see that there were ballots marked for president, but nothing else. Look, let me take a break right here. When we come back, I'm going to ask John to, to, to kind of give us a reality check on whether he thinks COVID-19 or any of this stuff was really the, the key. But let's take a little bit of a break. We will be right back with this discussion of Battleground. The battle continues on Battleground PA. Okay, we are back. That was a quick break for our podcast. And uh, we are going to resume our conversation. If you want to join us, there are hundreds of people who are writing in their questions now. I can't really get to them. There's so many of them. But you can also send me an email at topics at battlegroundpa.org. Or you can check us out on Twitter and right here where we are now on Facebook. John, where we write is Bridget, like she just made a provocative statement that's unlike her, uh, that that uh, perhaps if the president had kept a mask on and his mouth shut, he would be president. Is that is that one of the biggest issues that uh, you think led to his defeat? I think COVID-19 was certainly one of the biggest topics of discussion. Again, I, I hate to take the conversation so far back, but again, the first time you had me on in February, it looked like it was going to be the economy versus health care. Republicans touting Trump's economy, Democrats talking about the Affordable Care Act and the process uh, and the courts of them trying to repeal it. That seemed like that was going to be the story of 2020. And then COVID-19 happened and that totally, 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 I can't stress it enough, totally changed the uh, direction of the election where, again, campaigning, as we know, it was different this year. Uh, candidates weren't exactly able to hit the states and talk to the uh, amount of crowds they usually do, at least for a period of time. Towards the end, President Donald Trump kind of continued campaigning as he typically did with large crowds and such. I covered uh, several of those rallies after even he had COVID. Uh, the most recent one I covered was in Bucks County. I and hope you wore your mask. I, of course I did, yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. The campaign changed, but again, COVID was certainly a huge, huge part of how people voted. And again, uh, I'm sure Jeffrey will jump in and defend how President Donald Trump uh, responded to the COVID-19 pandemic. But at least the polling going into the election uh, said that it was arguably the most important issue on voters' minds. And by and large, people didn't exactly approve of the way Trump handled it. Again, leading into the election now, granted, I know people will take a problem with the pollsters because it was closer than many polls anticipated, quite frankly. However, leading into the election, so Trump had lower marks on COVID, still pretty good marks on the economy. That seemed to be his strongest. And the uh, health care seemed to be something Democrats kept trying to push because Trump numbers were great there. But at least COVID was definitely had an impact on this election. And again, at least from the polling going into it, it seemed as though uh, Democrats had the upper hand in terms of COVID-19 response. Mm -hmm. uh, Jeffrey, do you want to weigh in here on whether the, it was COVID-19? I mean, I'll tell you, Jeffrey, I'm still a little concerned. I see even in our state legislature, we saw the Republican legislators have a press conference um, without masks. I mean, honestly, it's not, I care about them. I, I, I really, my heart aches that Sorry, they so I, mean, I, I just, I just have to say, I, I do find... let, me, let me finish my sentence. So you'll know what I'm asking. Okay. I, 
I mean, don't you, aren't you concerned that they are risking their own lives, the safety of their relatives, and they're helping to spread the virus? What, and, and why is, has, have Republicans made this a political statement? I mean, I know you wear, I know you wear the mask, but it has become almost a sign that we're Republican uh, reactionaries or something, and we're not going to wear the mask. What I, I just find. I just think, Joyce, there are a lot of people out there that see the hypocrisy of the whole thing. I mean, I, I you find it wearing a mask of science. No, 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 no. You're not. You're not okay. hearing me. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I find it amazing to see people on television, which means they're in a room with cameras, yelling at people for not wearing masks, and they're not wearing masks. Uh, my my favorite was what the CNN report was. I think it was CNN who was chastising uh, Kaylee McEnany or the president or somebody while wearing a mask. And then the press conference ends and the camera's still running. She's unaware of it. And she stands up and up, takes off her mask. Which is, which, which depending upon the circumstances may be fine. I mean, if you're not around anyone, well, which, I, I, mean, I, mean, I don't know. Can I jump in here real quick? Yeah, go ahead, Rajat. Part of it is, I would argue the biggest part was the president's attitude toward people who wore a mask. He even mocked uh, a, a vice president, or should I say president-elect, Joe Biden, for wearing a mask. Um, when he himself and his family got COVID, there was an arrogance about it. See, it's not that bad. We'll all be okay. Um, when, uh, was it, over 200,000 Americans uh, died from COVID. Uh, we all discussed, um, I know I know people who, who died from COVID, now, let alone people who recovered from it, but is still dealing with some of the long-lasting effects. You know, the president right away went to the hospital. He gets tested every day. He got uh, different types of drugs and whatnot. The average person can't even get tested. The average person doesn't have access to the medicine the president has. Now, I'm not saying the president should have been treated for the illness, but it's an arrogance that he has access to health care that the average American doesn't have. And then he's just dismissing everyone who's concerned about that virus, well, especially yeah. when it hit the, the senior population so well. So well, I would well, argue it was his attitude and his arrogance that turned people away from him. It, well, Jeffrey, go ahead. I would suggest it was the media portrayal of him doing this. After all, the projections were that 2.2 million people, Americans, were going to die of the virus. He took action, and he took action over the objections of Joe Biden, who said he was a, a xenophobe and a racist for banning China travel. If Joe Biden had been there, this would have been much worse, according to what he himself said he wanted done in real time. Then you had Nancy Pelosi going into Chinatown and telling everybody to come. There's no problem. Come along. Jeffrey, I know you've you heard that before, but most people, people have, Jeffrey, you know on television most, most people can go back and really look for themselves and see that, including the president's son, or was it his son-in-law, I'm not sure, kind of dismissing it. And and that people see that. That that hurts. That that is not a question of just campaigns. That's a question of of, of to me, of saving people's lives. And I was on a, a webinar yesterday with uh, Dr. Kuchipudi, Suresh Kuchipudi, who we've had on our show before. I mean, the numbers are escalating. He, they, the scientists, the doctors, the people we should trust, are are predicting a horrible second wave. And uh, can I also bring up real quick too yeah. that how the president threatened to take funding away from schools 
that did not open in person, um, I mean, in person classes. So then you had parents concerned about their children um, because it was almost like a mandate. You either send your child to school and open up or we're going to withdraw funding for you. Now, you all know that I've always been a balanced person. And that's one thing I do think that Governor Wolf has attempted to do here in Pennsylvania was to balance the public health side along with the economic side. And when you looked at the exit polls from the election, for those who voted for Donald Trump, the number one issue was the economy. Um, so there is a large portion of the population. And, you know, Vice President Joe Biden, when he becomes president, is going to have to also strike that balance. Because yeah, but I'll tell you the whole he's going to have to balance the economics along with the public health, which I know he's putting together his task force to make sure, sure he does that. And I'll tell um, you, from, the, from what I've seen, he, he made you choose between the two, and it, it's not a choice. This virus has affected everyone. From what I've seen, though, the tone seems to be different. It really is one of wear your mask. I mean, I, what, what I've heard him is uh, the vice president do is emphasize the importance of wearing that mask. And, uh, and you know, I, I just... I just think that the whole atmosphere needs to change and it shouldn't be a Republican or Democratic issue. It should be we as Americans have to protect each other issue. Again, I don't want Republicans or Democrats to die or their or their grandmothers to die from this. We want to keep everyone safe and voting. But, John, let, let me bring you in here because I do want to delve a little bit more in this last portion into, yes, it looks like Pennsylvanians have, have rejected President Trump for whatever he stood for and whatever it is. Looks like that's the case. But I'm going to delve into a little bit. They didn't reject Republicans. <laughs> they did no. not reject Republicans. So explain to me, as you look at this on the local level, what do you see? What happened here? So again, I think there's a significant portion of voters that split their tickets. And if I, if you may, if I may, I would say it's mainly concentrated in the suburbs, where, again, we know that in the cities, the most, you know, in um, metropolitan areas, um, former Vice President Joe Biden was going to do well. The suburbs were kind of swing-ish voters, I would say, where they were more willing to split their ballots. And I'll give you some examples here. I'll start in the Philadelphia suburbs, not too far from me. Brian Fitzpatrick, an incumbent Republican, who, again, even though all the national outlets said he was favored to win. It was leans Republican through several outlets. He won by double digits against a Democrat in an area where, so again, Fitzpatrick won by double digits, yet uh, Biden carried Bucks County by, as of the latest numbers, four points at least, which is pretty significant. Chester County is a county where that's the, Chester County was the only county in the entire Commonwealth in 2016 that went from switching from uh, supporting Governor Mitt Romney in 2012 to supporting Secretary Clinton in uh, 2016. And then, so they, Democrats not only flipped that in 16, they added on to that momentum. Clinton won it by around nine points. Last time I checked, Biden had around a 17 point lead in Chester County. And these are voter rich areas. The Philadelphia suburbs are densely populated. And yet Republicans in those areas. So again, Brian Fitzpatrick, a Republican, won a second term. He won pretty comfortably. Scott Perry in the 10th congressional district. That was, yeah, that was made as a toss up. By many outlets, and what I had even Larry Sabato's crystal ball had it as means Democrat. But there was even some national outlets that were saying, "Hey, this really could go Democrat." And Perry won by my. I think the latest number says he was up by six point six or seven points. Seven points, and that's a bigger margin than his victory in 2018. So again, we've seen people willing to split their ballots. And then I guess lastly, on the state level uh, for state legislature, 
Um, Democrats really, 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 I know Bridget probably doesn't want to hear this, but they really, really, really want to flip the state house. Um, national outlets, you know, there's a ton of money poured into those races. Um, national outlets had as uh, Cook, the Cook, uh, excuse me, the Cook political report had the state house in Pennsylvania as a toss up. Meaning they thought there was a real chance Democrats could flip. I believe it was nine seats needed to flip the yes. house. Mm-hmm. Guess what? Republicans right now have flipped at least three and a few others that could be flipped. They're made at least a net gain of one. And the biggest one of all, you know, Frank Dermody, the House Minority Leader, lost. So, again, it's pretty obvious that people were maybe not exactly thrilled with President Donald Trump for whatever reason that may be. You'd have to ask the voters in those areas. But they, they, might, they exactly weren't dissatisfied with their local Republican um, leadership. And uh, in certain swing areas, there was even some flips, again, for, in Republicans' favor. Jeffrey, I, it shows the power. Can I say real quick? It does show the power of incumbency, too, because not one incumbent congressional member of Pennsylvania lost. Correct. Regardless of their party, every incumbent won. And I do think um, a, a little constructive criticism against my own party. Joe Biden wasn't strong enough to bring everyone in. And I do think some Democrats took for granted because of the political uh, mood nationally uh, that that would be enough to bring in the rest of the slate. And it also shows that money isn't everything because the Democrats for once, we outraised and outspent Republicans nationally. Um, but, so, you know, it, it, it takes more than, than the money. Let me delve into that a little bit. And, I'm, and Jeffrey, I'm gonna let you come in here too to talk about the Republicans, but there must be soul searching going on now in, inside the parties. And I know you guys don't like to air your dirty laundry and all of that out, but, but Rajat, I mean, Honestly, you know, we like to be on, but the Democrats need to do some soul searching. Something is wrong. I mean, something, not not necessarily Dolphin, because Jeffrey has already patted you on the back in our previous one, saying you did well with this, yes. but you worked hard. Why weren't they working hard the other places? Who's representing the Democrats? What is wrong with the Democratic Party in Pennsylvania? <laughs> Am I right, Jeffrey? Something is wrong. Well, I, I think it goes, it's, it's more than just Pennsylvania. One of the interesting things that I think Donald Trump has done, and frankly, he picked this theme up from Ronald Reagan. The Republican Party has become what the Democratic Party used to be, the party of blue-collar, working-class folks. Uh, Donald Trump is the first president, Republican president in decades candidate to increase his percentage of the black vote. In Florida, yes. he carried, he went from 35% to 50% of the Hispanic vote. Mm-hmm. So what he's doing is, and this is what Reagan started, is changing the dynamic of the Republican Party. The Democrats, on the other hand, it's almost like a personality switch. Hmm. A lot of Democrats have become, you know, rich Wall Street hedge type uh, elites, academic elites, uh this kind of thing, who have a real disdain for a lot of blue-collar people. And I just find it interesting. I mean, it's a progression that's been happening for years. And in my party, the folks, sadly, who didn't get it are the Mitt Romneys and John McCain's and even the Bushes uh, di- didn't seem to grasp this, didn't see it coming. And they were sort of appealing to the old country club set, if you will, and it ain't there anymore. <laughs> John, let me bring John. Go ahead. Comment on that, it's, at least as far as Pennsylvania is concerned. Is that is that a fair assessment? Is that what's wrong with the Democrats here? I think that there's some truth to what Jeffrey said, certainly in the sense that, again, look where Democrats made their the biggest gains. It was in the suburbs. You know, the more, uh, you know, affluent suburbs is where the Democrats certainly picked up momentum. However, 
Um, again, I think what Jeffrey said, he's right, where in Florida, um, President Donald Trump certainly did better uh, among Hispanic voters. He made significant gains, although exactly didn't translate to the same uh, length in Pennsylvania. Although, again, there's expected gains there. Uh, it doesn't appear to be where it's going to be. Uh, you know, well, again, again, we can't we can't um, homogenize or whatever all Latinos. They, they are different peoples, different groups based on and different interests based on their geography. Oh, absolutely. But I mean, it's certain. I think that voter trends is something that um, the Democratic Party is going to have to realize that, uh, you know, they want to make sure that I think uh, by and large Hispanic voters have supported uh, Democratic presidential candidates for quite a while. And they want to make sure that it's, you know, it's a significant part of their base. And they want to make sure that they're hearing their concerns. And right now, for, you know, credits of President Trump, he's able to make gains there. However, although I guess one thing I would say just to Jeffrey is that um, the momentum that has been gained there, I mean, it's significant that the voter turnout was massive in some of these more affluent areas. So it's kind of about where you can, you know, boost the voter turnout. I mean, President Donald Trump actually, made, it seems as though, um, even though Biden's going to win Philly by a very, very, very comfortable margin, it looks like Hillary Clinton actually won by a higher percentage than Biden did. So it's not as if Philly put, you know, uh, Biden in the White House. It's more so the Philly suburbs or the suburbs of Pittsburgh. That's where we've seen the, you know, really large increase. And I would say looking moving forward, although Trump was able to pick up those, uh, I guess, quote, you know, blue collar voters. I can speak to because I live in northeast Philadelphia where President Donald Trump performed well. He won, uh, did really well, actually, in my part. I, I would actually argue that was black women that put Joe Biden to the White House, especially when you look at states such as Georgia. We can't um, deny that. that black women Some of you might think that I'm a but <laughs> when you look at the numbers, black women continue to be the backbone, the most loyal building block of the to Democrat Party. All right. Now, what were you saying, Rajat? Go ahead. Though. I was saying uh, Black women continue to be the most loyal uh, voting block for the Democrat Party. And, you know, I just also want to bring up, at least here in Dauphin County, I'm looking forward to next year when redistricting happens. Um, because a lot of these districts, especially on the legislative uh, level, are gerrymandered. Um, so we can't, I think we're leaving off leaving out a big piece as to why sometimes Democrats have a hard time of winning some of these legislative seats. Um, we need some more competitive districts, and I'm not blaming that. That's an incumbency problem. Incumbents draw districts to protect themselves. Mm -hmm. So I'm hoping next year we get some more competitive districts um, to actually give voters a choice. Well, that and I would argue that some of the problems that we had here in Dauphin County, we had great candidates, they raised a lot of money, but if the district is drawn a certain way, sometimes it's it's hard enough to go up against an incumbent, particularly if a district, a district is drawn in a way to almost completely... I, I, I get that, and I think that's a good... I'm going to ask John to talk about the redistricting, but I really want to delve down a little bit more here with the Democratic Party. Are you guys taking a look at things like what John said? You're going to have to reach out, do more than reach out to Latinos, the Latino community, locally as well as nationally. Are you guys talking about that? Obviously, you need some more harder-working people in some of these areas. Are you looking at that? Is there going to be a revamping inside the Democratic Party? There needs to be. I know here in Pennsylvania, we have already started discussing um, these issues about our messaging, about our outreach, um, about different issues. Um, I do think that there are Democrats that think that we need new leadership on different, certain levels, certain positions. 
Um, obviously, we'll have to see if that happens. But there's the, the discussions have begun. You know sure. what they say about insanity, right, Rajette? You keep doing the same thing with the same people. Right. You, get the, you don't get any different results, okay? John, but what, what about, what did you think about <clears throat> gerrymandering? And Jeffrey, I'll bring you both in here. Is, there, is the changing of these boundaries going to have a profound effect on these elections going forward, John? I mean, I think that's the Democrats' hope. <laughs> they, they, again, this was, again, uh, I know Rajat doesn't want to hear it, but I mean, this outside of Biden and winning PA, this truly was just a disappointing election for Democrats in PA, um, mainly, again, at the state house level. They were hoping if they could redeem at least the state house, that would have been a really significant victory. Not only did they not flip the chamber, it looks like they're losing seats. So I think, you know, when they redraw the boundaries, I suppose they're hoping for, um, uh, you know, I, I guess they would believe fair uh, boundaries will happen. We'll see where that uh, lands again in the next uh, few years. And also, by the way, for Congress, it's likely that Pennsylvania loses a congressional seat due to our population. population. That would be interesting as well. As we know, Pennsylvania has 18 congressional districts. It looks like we'll have 17. It'll be interesting to see where they cut out at and then who is pitted against who. And that, of course, will play a significant role in the national conversation as well. So that's something I would say keep an eye on uh, definitely moving forward in the next uh, year or two. But the Democrats and, you know, from the very beginning, I did say this wasn't a blue wave election this year. Mm -hmm. But one thing we have to do as Democrats is we can't just continue to depend on Philadelphia and Pittsburgh. As we saw, a lot of votes did come out of the T. Dauphin County itself went blue. But we need to campaign throughout the state. That's one of the issues we had with some of our candidates is they focus just on the two ends Mm -hmm. and they forget about all of the votes in the middle. Um, So that's something that. That, that's something that we have to uh, do as well. And that's also discussions that are made. I'm sorry, you went to weigh in. Go ahead. One of the things that I find fascinating in, in terms of schisms in the Democratic Party is, uh, I mean, we think of, in a political sense, the last several months, we've been thinking of fracking in terms of the presidential election. But at base, what you what you've got here within the Democratic Party you would have people, uh, I mean, I myself had a chance to hear from a union leader. I think he was the head of the Boilermakers or something, lifelong Democrat. He was livid with the Democrats' stance on fracking and was, I think, taking that all the way through the Democratic ticket in his area of Western Pennsylvania. And you've got that vis-a-vis all the environmentalists in the Democratic Party. And there's a real clash there. I mean, and I think that's just one sort of typifies the problem. And as to the gerrymandering thing, um, as we all, as as we geeks all know, uh, the Jerry in there, G-E-R-R-Y, comes from one Elbridge Jerry, who I believe was from Massachusetts. Uh, and this has been going on for centuries. And yes. I have no reason to expect that it's not going to go on some more. And that whoever has the upper hand is going to draw the map their way. I mean, that's just how this works. Well, but that's the problem. It's the legislature decides <laughs> how the lines are drawn. And obviously, they're not going to want it to be, quote, independent. That's why I said, I'm not saying it's a Democrat or Republican problem. It's an incumbency issue. Incumbents are protecting themselves. And I don't think that'll go away. But that's not good for the for the people. That's all. That's my point. But I agree with you. It's going to be very hard to get away because they have to vote to change it. (laughs) 
it would be great if we could look beyond party to the people. That that would be great. And I, I will tell you, one of our uh, readers is saying, what if everyone waited until the count was final before making a guess on things? Uh, and that's a very good point. But uh, apparently the people who do do the counting have decided that the numbers are now adding up in favor of, of, uh, of Joe Biden and that whatever comes in in some of these areas is not going to make a difference. The, they, they are mathematically impossible to change from what they're saying. So so uh, I, I just I guess we we want to end on on just one final note, and it's an it's an important one that I think we have to talk about. Uh, Jeffrey, if all of this comes down uh, as people are saying it is, and states have been called, and it's clear the president has lost, are we going to have a problem extricating him from that Oval Office? No, I don't think grace and dignity. I don't think you'll have a problem extricating him from the Oval Office, but I do think you're going to have a problem with uh, what I call the new resistance. Okay. Um, when when Donald Trump won, uh, the other side, and I define the other side as not just Democrats but the media, went into overdrive. Uh, I went back and looked. Donald Trump was sworn in as president at noon on January 20th of 2017. At 12.27, in other words, 27 minutes later, the Washington Post had a front-page story with the headline, The Move to Impeach the President Has Begun. In office for 27 minutes, and the move to impeach him was on. And then they wanted a special prosecutor. But it may, it may be the same. It may be the, it's what you're saying right now, basically that same idea. The move for a, for a revolutionary secondary force has begun. Yeah. Right? I mean, and they're not going to be about keeping Biden in office either. I, again, guys, everyone, I know we love our parties, but you know the American people and maintaining this American democracy is that is more important than either the Republicans or Democrats. And if we want, if we cherish this two-party system, we really have to respect both parties. We really have to respect and say, yes, we want a strong Democratic Party. Yes, we want a strong Republican Party, or we do we just want a one-party system, John? Maybe that's what our voters are asking for, a one-party system. We only want to be able to vote for Republicans. Is that what Americans want? Americans, do you really only want to vote for one party, or do you want choices? Do you want decent people offering different ideas that you can debate? John, what do American people, what do Pennsylvanians really want? Do they really just want one thing? Well, I think, again, from the, this past election, it's pretty obvious that they're willing to split their ticket. I, I, again, you know, Biden won and again, in Pennsylvania. And as the numbers come in, we don't know exactly where it will end at. But the latest ballots seem, you know, as the ballots keep getting counted, it seems as though Biden has kind of increased his margin in the past few days. Um, and let's, you know, and Biden very well may win the state by a larger margin than Trump did in 2016. However, again, Republicans scored victories across the Commonwealth from, you know, the Philly suburbs to Allegheny County, up to Erie County, Northeast PA, and everywhere in between. Republicans for lower offices did well to the statewide races where Republicans split two, count them, two uh, statewide row offices, which is a huge deal. So it's certain that, you know, Pennsylvanians are pretty independent-minded people. There's a reason why we're a battleground. <laughs> right. right. I think I think voters want a third party. To be honest, I, I think most voters are tired of just the Republican Democratic parties. I I do think that a lot of I I think most people are independent in Pennsylvania. We're a closed primary state, so you, if you want to vote in a primary election, you have to choose a side. 
But I think if we were an open primary state or if there were more than political party, and I'm not saying we're ever going to get that, but I'm just saying I think voters would like to have more choices. And, you know, we forgot to say one thing, that both Donald Trump and Joe Biden both got over 70 million votes, the most ever. Yeah. Yeah. That the presidential candidates have received, which is so, a testament to the voters yes, to America. Yes. No, but honestly, it's a testament to both of these parties. To the president, for one, who galvanized his base and was able to get people out supporting him, and to those hardworking Democratic people who actually turned out their vote. I mean, we have Stacey yes. Abrams apparently in Georgia was a phenomenon. Right. There were really people who just and you, uh, Rochette, you worked your. <laughs> went off, right? I mean, you really worked hard. There were people who worked hard to galvanize and to get Americans energized. And Jeffrey, you were out there, you know, touting your flags and all of that. So honestly, but but Jeffrey, you know where I'm coming from. We want strong two parties. Am I right? Or do we really want to keep hating each other? Well, I don't. I, I don't believe in the hate business. I just think you have to have two strong, philosophically opposite parties and out of that comes the debate which decides which way the country moves. I mean, I think that's the way it has worked best throughout our history. I mean, remember, this evolved naturally. It's this is not in the constitution. This all began with uh debates in George Washington's cabinet. And you know, you had the Thomas Jeffersons on one side and the Hamiltons and Alexander uh the Alexander Hamiltons and the John Adamses on the other side. Uh you know, there was no television in 1800, but that was one of the most brutal presidential elections still in all of American history. So, um, you know, we've sort of been here before. It's a good thing. And I just it's evolved naturally. So let it be. So you think it's a good thing where we are now that I have to disagree with you. I don't I well, feel let, comfortable. Let, 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 let me let me. Really, you know what? Let me be clear about this. OK, go ahead. OK. I don't think it's a good thing where we are, I, I, but I, I really believe, uh, you know, Congress, former Congressman Jason Chaffetz, uh, he was a Republican from Utah, wrote a piece for Fox News the other day, and he said, you know, uh, Joe Biden is calling for um, healing and unity and all of this sort of thing. He says, I remember Democrats saying that after Donald Trump was elected. And he says, oh, nope, I don't. You know, and then he goes through chapter and verse the way they went after him and savaged him. And my point is, you can't do what Democrats and the media have done for the last four years and think that this isn't going to have people on the other side saying, so what, okay. So Jeffrey, what's the solution? If it turns out that Biden is the winner, what is the solution to bring us along? I mean, I only say that because there have been so many official declarations of him as president-elect. So that's what the the... So if that turns out to be the case, what's the solution to bring your stalwarts along or to unite people? Is it with more respect? Is it perhaps reaching across the aisle for some actual policy issues? I mean, what would it be? I, I actually am not sure that that is, is it possible. possible. Is it, it possible? I'm not sure that it is. And, and the reason I'm not sure that it is is because of the way President Trump was treated. I but, mean, I, I think the very first thing people are going to say on right? my side People on my side are going to say we want a special prosecutor to investigate Biden Incorporated, um, just like you went after Donald Trump for Trump-Russia collusion. We want to know what's been going on in the Biden empire. 
and we want a special prosecutor. I do and think that's, that's what I was trying to get at. And I'll, I'll let John uh, come in here as far as Pennsylvania is that, you know, you can look back and, and sometimes we have to look back and we want to be mad at people who've hurt us and all of that. But on a personal level, you got to let that stuff go if you're going to have a future. And I'm can I weigh in too then? Yeah, Jack, go ahead. I, to me, it starts with Donald Trump. Um, and I know the two situations aren't exactly identical, but think back to 2000. It started with Al Gore with graciously conceding and reaching over uh, to uh, George Bush and congratulating him uh, when he, with the presidency. Donald Trump is going to have to be gracious. He's going to have to concede and he's going to have to tell his voters that this is bigger than me. This is about the United States and we have to come together for the betterment of the country. To me, it starts with him. Now, again, let him go through his court battles. If there's going to be a recount, let there be a recount. We have the special election for the two Senate seats in January. This isn't over yet. We still don't know who has control of the United States Senate. And that's going to be huge as far as what can be done on a federal level, uh, especially uh, when Joe Biden becomes uh, president. So, you know, this isn't over yet. But I do think that him going through his court decisions, whether I personally agree with it or not, is all part of the healing process as well. It would be very good, as I say, it would be very good if Joe Biden joined with him in doing that and said, let's just get the facts. So, John, you, you basically heard where I'm going, that even for Pennsylvanians or the nation, there will have to come a point where we heal, where we come together. Do you see that happening anytime soon? I mean, of course, we all hope so. But sadly, I think we just saw... I mean, I think part of the reason voter turnout was so high is because there was truly disdain for the other each other's candidates, it seemed like, you know. Now, hopefully, as the dust settles and, you know, as we move forward, hopefully we are able to come together and find some more common ground. And again, a state like Pennsylvania, we certainly have our fair share of voters who actually are independent-minded people. I truly believe that. There's a lot of states where, again, you could already chalk up in the win column for either candidate. You know, it's funny, like going into the election night, we know that California would be a huge Biden victory. We know going into election night, there were certain states that would be huge Trump victories. We, we just knew that. Pennsylvania truly is one of those states that, you know, there's one of a handful, really, that there are enough independent-minded voters that are willing to hear each other out and decide on, you know, uh, leading up to the election, why they should decide to vote for either candidate. I think a state like Pennsylvania, I hope, we, I think a state like PA can come together. Um, I just don't know how quickly that will be. Of course, we'll see what the rhetoric is like from our leaders. Um, for hopefully it is a unifying message uh, that we can all come together. Very good. And I want to thank both Rajette Harris and Jeffrey Lord for having this. Look, tensions are high. Feelings are hurt. And, you know, and, and we're dealing with a lot. But we're able to keep it all together and to treat each other with civility and respect. So thank you, Rajette. Thank you, Jeffrey. And John, thank you for bringing in your honest broker role here. I needed it. Okay. <laughs> thank you. And uh, again, for Battleground PA, we do hope you will check us out on Facebook and Twitter. And you can send an email to topics at battlegroundpa.org. To all of our uh, viewers here on Facebook Live, first, I thank those who actually contributed to thoughtful debate and comments. And I shake my finger at those of you who weren't <laughs> able to keep it together like Jeffrey and Rogette and be civil, courteous, and respectful. Our nation, our nation needs it right now. Our nation is worth our being nice to each other for a change. So with that, 
I'm going to say have a great day. Hugs virtually to all of you. And I will <laughs> see you very soon back here on Battleground PA. Bye, guys.